Amen. Well, this morning, as I said, we're in the sixth week of our Jesus Unveiled series. And and in this series, we've been taking a look at the book of Revelation. This is the last book in the Bible. It's it's kind of the end times uh, of what's going to happen, and some of which may already be setting into motion happening in our world right now. Um, But the whole purpose of this book And this is why we've named this Unveiling Jesus. The whole purpose of it is to see Jesus more clearly. That's the purpose of it. We can get lost in the details. We can get lost in these little, oh, what's that weird thing mean? Or what does this mean? Or what does this symbolize? Some of that uh, we'll talk about today. Uh, You know, is it actually a thousand years? Is it not a thousand years? All of that kind of stuff. Uh, So much of it is speculation that we lose sight of what really matters when we're talking about this, which is seeing Jesus and the hope that he provides for us ultimately. And in fact, the entire Bible, everything points to Jesus Christ coming. Everything points to Jesus coming. Look at what it says in Revelation 19.10. It says, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Every prophet in the Old Testament, every prophet in the New Testament, they, they've, been, they've been pointing toward Jesus, looking forward or pointing back to Jesus. And the passages we're going to look at today, they speak of this great moment that's spoken of over 1,800 times throughout the Bible. And anytime anything is spoken about 1,800 times, we should probably pay attention to what that is, right? 1,800 times it talks about Jesus returning to the earth. Jesus returning to the earth. And so today we're going to look at the return of the king. Now, who likes Lord of the Rings? Does anyone like Lord of the Rings? Who's read the books? I'm curious. Oh, just a couple. There were a lot in the last service, and my wife called me out for calling them nerds. Um, I like Lord of the Rings, so I'm calling myself a nerd too. So we're all in the same boat. But uh, if you know anything about Lord of the Rings, it all points to the culmination of what happens is the return of the king. That's the last book. That's the last movie that is way too long. It's like four hours long if you can make it through it in one sitting. Good for you. Um, but the return of the king, there, there's so much evil and disorder and chaos in the world, and they're all waiting for this king to return to make everything right. In fact, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of the Lord of the Rings series, he actually wrote this series with this in mind, with what we're going to look at in mind of Jesus coming back to the earth, of redeeming his people, of making everything right that has been wronged, of abolishing evil. So the return of the king. And this is the first thing um, that we need to understand about the return of the king. Again, we're in uh, Revelation chapters 19 and 20. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps even, I encourage you to open it up and highlight and follow along and take notes. But the first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus will return as a mighty king prepared for battle. He's going to return as a mighty king prepared for battle. So this sermon hopefully we'll give you a clear picture of who Jesus is. Hopefully every sermon does that. But this one especially is something that we don't often think about or talk about. 
Um, because we think of Jesus, we think of the, you know, we think of the little baby at Christmas time, you know, coming in the manger and, and you know, so meek and so humble. And, and then he even grows up and he's a, he's a carpenter and he, he you know, we kind of, you read the Gospels and you're like, Jesus just gets pushed, pushed around by people. It's like, come on, step up, defend yourself. Even the disciples said that to Jesus. They said, why don't you do something? We know you can do something about this. You know, but we think of Jesus in the, in the field with the lamb on his lap, stroking the lamb, right? Just petting the lamb. And this is going to totally change our view of Jesus. It's going to give us a more complete picture of who he actually is. And this reminded me, um, before we get into Revelation 19, it kind of reminds me, I had this buddy in high school. He was super nice. He, he, was, he was really shy. He was, again, kind of nerdy, like kinda, uh, but everyone liked him. Wasn't a good athlete, but tried anyway. He played all the sports. And then we graduated, and years and years and years go by, and I was at the gym, and this, I, I was like looking at this guy across. I was like, God, that guy looks like really familiar, but like I, I couldn't remember what he was from. And then he came up, and he said hi to me. And then it clicked right there. Oh, this is that kid. But, but this time, he like had muscles on top of muscles. He was like absolutely ripped. And I was like, is that really you? Like, are you the same person? And he had just gotten really into weightlifting, and he was tenacious, and he was strong. He was one of the biggest people there. His, his being didn't change, right? But, he, but the second time I had seen him, it was much different than the first time. And this reminded me when we're going to read this, Revelation 19, 11 through 16. This is John speaking. He said, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and, the, and his title was the Word of God. So this is really the first uh, place in this passage that we see this. John is speaking about Jesus. If you remember John 1, the Gospel of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, right? And so he uses the same title for Jesus as he did in his Gospel. It goes on to say, The armies of heaven, dressed in finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. And then to finish up, he will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. So here we see John getting this glimpse uh, of these fine, you know, everything that's happened before this in the first 18 chapters of Revelation, all this chaos, everything, and now is the moment where Jesus comes, right? Now is the moment where he's going to come, he's going to make everything right, but he doesn't come into the world the same way he did the first time. The first time, no one even knew who he was. The second time, everyone is going to know who he was. Look at the descriptions it gives. He's sitting on this white horse as a triumphant conqueror. He's called faithful and true. We need to understand that he judges fairly and with truth. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Again, this is really strong imagery here, but this suggests the penetrating power of his judgment. He wears many crowns, 
right? This indicates that he is supreme. He is the final authority over all other authorities, over all other kingdoms in the world. His is the strongest, is the most powerful. He, he's dressed, he, he has this name which no one knows except himself. So this kind of reminds us of the hidden depths of Christ's being. You know, he is, he is unrivaled. There's things that we as his creation don't understand about him. We can't comprehend fully about him. And then it, it says his, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. That's kind of gross. But, but what this is saying is that, that this is not his, his first battle. This is his last battle. He's already been in battle and he's coming to end it. And then he, he's shooting swords out of his mouth, Right? I mean, that's the, that's the most like, wow, what does that mean? Like the sword is coming out of his mouth to strike down. But again, this is symbolic, not literal. This signifies the judgment and wrath that he will enact in a just way. And, and this isn't something that we often, you know, think about Jesus, but it's important to understand about his ultimate purposes for the world. And then it wraps up displaying this title that's clearer than ever. He is the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. The first time Jesus came, it was different. The second time, it's going to be, or sorry, it's going to be different from the first time he came. The first time he came, he came as a redeemer, a humble redeemer. The next time, he's going to come as the ruler of all the world. The first time he faced the cross, the next time he's going to wear the crowns of every authority. The first time he came, he went to the tomb. The next time he came, he's going to sit on the throne. Jesus will return as the King of Kings. No rivals. No rivals. And Jesus will be victorious over evil. I've used uh, a few movies as, you know, examples in this sermon. I'll, I'll use, a, not really a specific movie, but what does every good movie have in common or every good story? I think it, I'm not going to make you answer that, by the way, but I think it has, I think it has, everyone has drama. There's a drama, right? There's a tension. There's, a, there's this struggle of, of what is happening, and we're sitting there watching it. We're invested in it. We're wondering if, if something's going to turn out the way it should. But have you ever just been watching a movie or reading a story, and you're like, this, this, uh, the protagonist, the main character, is way stronger than the person that he's fa- he or she, she is facing why don't they just like wipe the floor with them? This shouldn't even be a fight, right? They're just doing it to add pages or to add minutes to the movie so they can keep you there longer. But as we're going to see, there is never a question of if Jesus will win. There, there was no, I mean, the struggle's already done with. When Jesus shows up on this white horse, he is a conqueror. No one will even come close to his power. No one. He's going to defeat evil once for all. This isn't a movie. This isn't a story, right? This is what's going to happen. Revelation 19, 19 through 21. John speaking, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. Okay, so there's a lot of imagery in here again. 
There's a lot of symbolism in here. But this, basically what's happening in this, in this passage is that one last time, all the forces of evil are mustering up to have one last fight against, against the true Lord, the true King of Kings, Jesus. They're going to try to come together to defeat him. The beast represents his political powers, right? This false prophet that has been deceiving people all along, they're all going to gather together and they're going to wage one more war, but, th- but it's not going to amount to anything. It's not going to come to anything. No one who opposes God will be successful. In fact, even the author of, of evil, Satan, the devil, will be defeated. It says this in Revelation 20.10. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So if you notice, we just we skipped a few, a few chapters, and that's, uh, I encourage you to go to Pursue God and, and type in millennial, um, because what this is talking about in, in the first part of chapter 20 is the millennium, you know, the thousand-year reign, what all that's going to mean, and there's so many different viewpoints on that. And the important thing for me is I, I feel like we need to understand really the message of what's trying to get across in this passage, not get caught up in the things that are secondary issues. And so what this is saying is that evil, once for all time, will be defeated. No more schemes from the enemy. No more deception. No more lies. No more, no more for us. No more sickness. No more sadness, disease, or addiction, or death. No more broken relationships or jealousy. I mean, how, how great does that sound, right? That sounds incredible. And this will all happen because Jesus will righteously judge once for all. He will righteously judge once for all. You know, in a world that we live in, that's a broken world, it's chaotic, it's unpredictable, There are people in positions of authority, people in positions of power, that they abuse that power. They use it at the expense of other people or to lift themselves up on a pedestal. And this has happened all throughout the centuries, right? It's just how we are as people. When, When we get into a position, sometimes we don't always do the right things. We make mistakes. We think, oh, what's best for me? What's gonna benefit me? But this isn't Jesus. That's not how Jesus is. Jesus is perfectly righteous. He's perfectly just. He's perfectly fair. He's also completely and perfectly thorough. And he's completely final. He's not going to go back on his word. Revelation 20, 12 through 15. John C., he, he says, I see the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake, this lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So now if I'm, if I'm honest with you, this is a pretty difficult passage of Scripture. Um, 
You know, there, there's some heavy stuff in here. And, and sometimes we can look at this and it can scare us. It can, it, we, we wonder, oh my gosh, am I in this boat? You know, am I in this, am I in the same uh, side as what, who he's talking about, who he's seeing here? And again, there's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of symbolism. You know, and a lot of churches will shy away from this. They won't want to talk about it because you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to make people uncomfortable. You don't want, you know, but, but this is the thing about the Bible. We don't get to just pick and choose what's convenient for us. You know, it's like a, a yeah, vending machine. It's like, oh, E7, I like that, like God's love, yes. Oh, no, not, but not his wrath, you know, so I'm not going to choose that one, right? We don't get to do that with the Bible. The whole is together. It's telling us one story, and the Bible in this passage and in other passages, just like it, it's pretty clear that, that everyone who hasn't placed their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins will be righteously judged. They'll be righteously judged. Revelation reminds us, as you saw in that first, that people both, both great and small, you know, people short and tall, people rich and poor, people, people good and people bad, Right? No one is exempt. The, the, the only thing, the only qualifier is a relationship with Jesus. And, and in fact, there, there, there probably will be good people here. There probably will. J- Jesus, one of the most difficult passages for me personally is Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus is speaking. He says, Many will say to me in that day, this is the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You know, that's a difficult, that's difficult. Because what that's saying is people who, who gave their life to, to, to good things. Jesus will say in the last day that I never knew you. And only God knows our hearts. That's the thing. We can't judge. We can't judge people. We don't know motives. We don't know people's hearts. That's God's job. That's not our job to decide who's in and who's out. But it is our job to submit to God, to submit and trust in Jesus. I love how C.S. Lewis puts this. This is way better than I could ever put it. Um, and, and I think I shared this a couple years ago in a sermon, but, but this is really just spot on for what I'm trying to say right now. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. Those are both promises from Jesus. Whoever seeks will find. Whoever knocks, the door will be open for them. And what he's saying here is that there, there's two types of people. The, the one person says, you know what? Th- this, is, this is what I'm in it for. It's for me. I'm in it for me. For my gain. For, you know, and God will say, okay, this is the choice you've made. Your will be done. Why, why would someone who wanted nothing to do with God, who wanted nothing to do with Jesus, spend an eternity worshiping him, right? Why, why, would, it, why would they want that? They wouldn't want that. You know, heaven is indescribably great and beyond our comprehension. 
But, but I don't think that we're just, you know, like uh, this heaven where you just get to go do whatever you like to do on earth, you know, so if you're going to play golf tournament today, if you like golf, you're not just going to be golfing for an eternity, you know, like a trillion holes or anything like that. Like that's, that's that, I mean, I think there will be joys in heaven, but I don't think, it, we can't think of heaven as like this, oh, whatever I want it to be, whatever I need it to be. Whatever is going to make me look forward to it. Heaven is going to be a place of worshiping, of being submitted to God, to who he is, for, for what he did for us. And so why would people who didn't choose Jesus in this world, why would they want to spend an eternity doing that? They wouldn't. But then there's, you know, that's kind of the, the bummer side of it. <laughs> but there's other good news in this, Right? There's the other side of, of those of us who say, God, your will be done, not my will. Your will be done. We're never going to do this perfectly. This isn't about legalism. It's not about meeting a certain standard or a certain bar. That's where the grace of Jesus comes in. And I love what this says. It sums it up perfectly. Paul is speaking to the church in Colossae, the Colossian church in 2, verse 13 through 14. He says this. This is the ESV version. But for those in Christ, those who have put their faith in Christ, this record of sin will not be counted against them, for Christ has paid the penalty for them. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he has set aside, nailing it to the cross." This is such an encouraging passage of Scripture because what it's saying is, is we're all in this boat together. We're all dead. We're all spiritually dead in our sins until Christ comes into our lives and makes us alive. He takes that, I like that, that record of debt. You know, that record of debt, I was just said who's in debt, but we prob- most of us probably are at some, some point, a little bit. You know, imagine someone coming to you and just paying that debt. But then not only that, they said, you know what, any debt you accrue, it's done. You know, any, anything that you're going to do beyond this, that's paid for too. That's what Jesus did with our sin. He paid for that on the cross. It was something that we couldn't do. That's the whole Old Testament. You wonder why. Why are they doing all these rituals? Why are they doing all these things to, to make themselves purified? You know, that's because they were trying to do it on their own, but they couldn't. And that's why Jesus came, because he could. That's the whole message of the gospel is that it's, it's done. The work is done. He's taken your sin. He's taken your brokenness. He's taken all of that stuff, and he's nailed it to the cross. And so you see, just as Christ's judgment is beyond our comprehension, we don't know what it's truly like to be a righteous judge because we're, we're broken, we're imperfect people. But so is his, his grace is beyond our comprehension. His mercy, his love, his forgiveness, all of those things are beyond our comprehension. And the truth is, is that, there, that there's no standard. There's no like, you know, you have to meet this standard before you can have a relationship with Jesus. This is available to anyone. And when we have that lens, Christian, when we have that lens, that should tell us, oh, everyone around me needs Jesus. Everyone around me 
is, is available, it can have a relationship with Jesus. That should move us. That should push us. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you should know your sin, everything that you've done in your life, that's, that's, not, that's not too big for God. God is bigger than that. He's over than that. He's over that. He's already paid for that. All we need to do is put our trust and our faith in him. And as, as we look at what we did today, you know, I hope that this gives you a confidence that what Jesus said will be done. He, he's a man of his word, right? He will come and he will, he, he will be victorious over sin, over evil. And we can be victorious too through a relationship with him. So let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for the, the amount of love that you show us each and every day. God, even just getting out of bed, Lord, is, is such a blessing. And to be able to live where we live, to have the things that we have, to sit in an air-conditioned room and, uh, you know, to study your word, God, that's readily available on our phones. Uh, you know, however many Bibles we have, God, there's some people who don't even have the Bible in their language, Lord. So thank you so much for blessing us with that, God, but just help us to not get distracted by the things this world offers, to not get bogged down by our own sin, our own mistakes, our own agendas, but God, that we would always look to you and that you would reveal yourself to us, God, that we would seek out that joy, that we would knock at the door, God, because we know that you're going to open it. God, we thank you for the hope that Revelation brings. God, that one day you are going to right every wrong. God, you are going to make everything complete in a perfect, righteous way. God, so help us to trust that, Lord. When we see the brokenness of this world, help us to look to you and to that hope, God, that one day, maybe we won't see it here Maybe we'll already be with you, but one day you are going to defeat evil and bring justice for those who who don't have justice. Lord, help us to broaden our view of you, God, because you are a God of, of mercy and compassion and love, but you're also a God who is fierce, who is powerful, who is above every authority in this world, who is the King of Kings, as we're gonna sing in just a moment. God, give us that complete picture of who you are. Give us grace, even when we don't have grace for ourselves. God, that we don't have it all together. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to say things that, that aren't honoring to you and, and think thoughts that aren't honoring to you, God. But it's not about what we can do, God. It's about what you've already done through Jesus on the cross. Help that to be our guiding light. We pray these things in your name. Amen.